Pulp MX Network production. Thanks for all the support, Pulp MX fans. The Pulp MX app is now available for both iPhone and Android-based phones. For all your moto needs, shop at btosports.com and use the current discount code PULPMX. And don't forget to click the Amazon banner on PULPMX.com when purchasing anything from Amazon. It's the Steve Mathis Show, brought to you by RacerX, presented by BTOSports.com and ThorMX. The original Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome to the BTOSports.com RacerX podcast presented by Thor MX. All your bike and body needs, BTOSports.com. Go there, listen to the commercial, and save yourself some money at BTOSports.com. And also Thor MX, Thor MX, the official gear of Martin Davalos, uh, among other great, great riders. Uh, ThorMX.com to uh, check out all their 2014 styles. So thanks, uh, thanks to those guys for making this happen, uh, the BTOSports.com RacerX podcast. I'm your host, Steve Mathis. With me on the line is uh, my arch enemy in the moto radio internet business, uh, DMXS's own David Iser. What's up, Iser? Uh, uh, we're <laughs> supposed to be enemies, right? Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Everybody tries to, tries to get that going. I can't um, stay in this guy. Uh, this is our second or third or maybe fourth podcast together, so yeah. uh, thanks for coming on, Iser. Always, uh, uh, always a good time with you. Enjoy the, the invitation. Passionate moto fan. That, that is your title. That's it. Um, and also on the line, my boss, um, the man who runs things at Racer X uh, on the internet, is uh, uh, the Jason Wygant. Weege, what's up? Yes, this is the Racer X podcast, so that's why there's peace between Pulp and DMX. Ooh, neither. Ooh. neither. Oh, yeah, yeah, you reached out and you. Uh, Weege is Switzerland. I like it. <laughs> yeah, the G, G8 Summit or something like that. Um, okay. uh, Weege, uh, did you go to the. Did you, first of all, did you go to the Monday Night Football game? No. Oh, oh! No. You had said something about on Twitter about going, and I'm like, he didn't buy tickets. He's not going. Yeah. Yeah. He went once I last year with I free did, tickets. I, think. I did spend two hundred dollars to go watch uh, the Panthers play the Giants last year. That's it. I'm tapped for life. <laughs> One time. That's it. Yeah, it was a Thursday night game. Okay. Hey, game the entire time you were watching that, were you regretting spending that much money on the on the game? Did you angst <sighs> over the entire four quarters? Either there was so much traffic to get down there. It's normally 15 minutes or 20 minutes yeah. to get to the stadium. It took an hour and 20. And by the time I got there, then the first quarter was over. And the Giants were already ahead 14 nothing, which I should have been cheering because that's who I'm rooting for. But at the yeah. same time, I'm like, the game's already over, and I haven't even gotten there. Yeah. And then half the building was empty by halftime because the Panthers were losing badly. It was very torn. I'm not buying football tickets ever again. I, yeah. uh, did you bring in bottled water? In your uh, in your socks and the, like popcorn and Ziploc bags, so I know you're not going to spend no. football money <laughs> concessions either. <laughs> One word, flask, baby, <laughs> flask. The, the NFL, hey, the NFL has got a problem. There's no doubt about it. I just read an article in Deadspin, a guy who gave up family season tickets at the Redskins for 40 years. Uh, hmm. 40 years they had these tickets, you know, grandparents, parents, whatever. Mm-hmm. And he had little children, and he just was like, you know what? The parking, the driving, the security, the drunks, the drunks, the yeah. far away view. Uh, I have a you know fifty inch TV, plasma TV, and uh, the guys like I gave the tickets up. That's it. I think the NFL is gonna ha- they have a problem. There's no doubt. I, I see it uh, as well. It's like 
the NASCAR in a few years, they thought, you know, five, six, seven years ago, that was invincible. And you look at those races and those stands are, are half full and, uh, NFL with the concussion problems and, you know, peewee football, uh, registrations are down. I mean, I, I totally agree that they, they have some problems on the horizon. No doubt about the it. The problem with the live events is, uh, um, the sport is almost football's in trouble because of its own success in that they've done an awesome job making every team relevant to every fan through gambling, through fantasy, and and through just pumping up stars. I mean, it's football's not even a regional sport at all. Like people watch whatever game is on. Yeah, you're interested in all the games, all the teams, all the players. You can only watch one when you spend your ridiculous amount of money to go to the game, but you can watch them all on the NFL Red Zone channel and track your fantasy team and track your bets. Uh, it's not fun to go to games. I don't know how they're going to fix this problem. I can tell you what, Sunday Ticket, Dish TV, uh, DirecTV Sunday Ticket is the best invention ever. Yeah, I got Dish Network. I can't get it, Isaac. Thanks a lot. Oh, it, is, it is nirvana for a football fan, and, and being in Atlanta and hating the Falcons, uh, I never get to see Redskins games, so obviously <laughs> this, that to me was a necessity. But that, that's why Goodell is, is tapping you know, Europe for, for this. He, he sees this having to expand to, you know, to have a, but, a, a different source of revenue. Well, having said that, we're all talking about the live attendance. On the other hand, on the flip side, there's, yeah. there's baseball and football especially. Those two sports have never been richer because guess what live sports is? It's DVR proof. You have to watch the commercials. So advertisers are spending tons of money with sporting events because, you know, let's face it, everyone has a DVR. Everyone fast-forwards through the commercials, right? So except for live sporting events. I know I'm a weirdo and I DVR live hockey games and then I – I try to stay off my phone and go watch them as if they really happened, but I'm super weird. So um, I think we, that, we've all done that. Yeah, but I think that nowadays the sports on TV at home. So you know, it's it's kind of a uh, uh, a good thing on one hand and a bad thing on the other for these for these sporting uh, organizations because they've never been raking in more money in TV profits, but they're also maybe suffering live attendance. Okay, let me ask you this, the argument of this, the subculture of Supercross and Cross, which is a fraction of the sports we're talking about. Do you not believe that we live and die by the battle? It is literally, if it's Carmichael Stewart in, in the Atlanta Dome and it's a tight battle, that place is sold out. If, it's, if it comes down to Vegas, I, I do believe the personalities and the riders that are driven live and die by the sport. By the time Anaheim 3 came around, you know, it was all about what, what, you know, what, was the, what were the points, who, who was in it. And, and for us, I think we're at the mercy of that. I, think, uh, I disagree. Uh, yeah, I do I too. I disagree too. Suck it out. I don't think that um, – I think that – I don't believe this sport is big enough yet where there's that big of an amount of people that know the ins and outs. I think a, especially when you're talking Supercross, you're talking 50,000 people. I think a lot of people go because it's cool. It's something they go to every year. They probably – follow it pretty closely, but I don't think they live and die on, I'm going to take the four-hour drive to the Georgia Dome because the points are close. Oh, this year they're not, I'm not going to go. I don't think it quite works that way. It would almost be better if people were following it week in and week out that closely, but I don't think it necessarily are. It's, it's so it's just a live I event think. on TV where people can forego all of the hassles, and that hurts attendance more than if it's a tight points battle coming down with four races to go. I, I don't think in any given city – that there are 50,000 people that know what the points are. So if 50,000 people are showing up, a lot of them are going because it's something cool to do. Are you saying, that, are you saying 50,000 people are not reading Pulp MX? 
Is that what you're saying right now? What are you doing, Weege? <laughs> damn, damn you. Damn you. <laughs> you mean people aren't reading um, uh, Swiss Corner and uh, and Moser's column shortcomings? Really? <laughs> Corey and Moser right. are arguing with himself. Right, right. They're not reading <laughs> an article. idea. We're not reading an article where a guy I pay just interviews himself. Yeah, that's um, pretty good. Anyways, uh, yeah, I, I agree with Weege. I think that, you know, we're – I would think the only time that I've heard people passing up tickets is for Vegas Supercross from my Southern California bros that are like, I bought tickets for Vegas. Uh, Villapoto, Ricky, McGrath, insert, yeah. insert rider here. Has a huge lead. I'm not going. But, Five hour drive, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But then, the, but then the stadium is still sold out because it only holds thirty five thousand or whatever. So, the Vegas final is the only time I've ever heard like people actually say there's no points championship. So I don't, I'm, I don't care. Well, this is the one thing that Mathis and I 100 wholeheartedly agree on. I think we does too. I don't know for sure. Is you know the bringing back of the semi races and 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 what. Feld is trying to do is, is continually revamp the, the show, and I do believe that getting value for the dollar is what's going to get the you know get the fan back involved. And I, I believe this is a, is a great first step. Just just looking at, at Vegas, the you know some of the stuff that they've done with the split starts and the even the Monster Energy Cup things to bring excitement back into the sport, especially Supercross. I I believe that that uh, that in and of itself is a is a good. Um, you know, indicator if uh, for fans' interest. If if you if you listen to Pulp Mech show, I know you're glued on Monday nights all yeah. the time. But um, I've been going off on this, and let's get your opinion. What what would you take from the Monster Cup to Supercross? What would you take? All of no it. No Joker lanes. I mean, I, I don't want I don't want we're any gonna, type of. We're gonna I hang think up. that's awesome. We gotta go. We gotta hang up. Thanks for coming on the show. We're gonna hang up. Thanks for coming on the show. No, no, th- th- we cannot have gimmicks. We can't have a championship decided because Dungey forgot to go through the son of a bitch on the last lap. We can't. Why not? That can't be, because that Why can't not? be. No. Are you serious? It's racing. It's like, well, a guy forgot to shift in the fourth in the whoops, or he forgot to get on the brakes in a turn, or in NASCAR, or a guy forgot a guy to pit. forgot to catch the ball in his hands. Like that's part of the game. Yeah, but you can't read. This is these kids have been on bikes, Pee Wee Fifties, since up to this point. You can't introduce that into the, okay. the sport this far into their. I mean, it'd be different if you start out with Loretta Lens and the in the shaft drive with a, with a with a Joker Lane in the shaft drive class. So they can't remember to take a Joker Lane. We can't ask them of that. That is too much to ask. Splitting the atom and remembering to take the Joker Lane. Oh my God! Are you you are serious? How, how many rounds do you want this abomination to, to poison our sport? Every round? No, 17 no. rounds? No, no, no. Not every round. Uh, I'd That's say th- even more confusing. <laughs> I, I don't think you're giving these riders enough credit. Look what happened to Dungey. He didn't even realize it until Villapoda told him. Well, I don't <laughs> really want to. It's more on Dungey, really. <laughs> hey. <laughs> I mean, Villapoto forgot it. Andrew Short forgot it in person. Yes. I'm just saying that, that I don't want that to, to be a deciding factor in a championship if it comes down to it. If you don't do it every race especially, then, then it even becomes more um, benign to me as far as a, you know, something that's, that's going to have any lasting uh, factors in our sport. I, I do not agree with that. I think it's awesome for the U.S. Open uh, or for the for the uh, Monster Energy Cup, for the Bears, anything that's a one-off event, but not a championship series. Because then what? Then at high point, do we have a Joker Lane? At high point, do you introduce it into the Outdoor oh, Nationals? Calm, because that's bring the of the sport. Bring it all. <laughs> I'm for all of it, all the time. Bring it in every round. Um, as long as hey, it's... Would you agree with them 
Reeves, every in NASCAR that once a frickin' race, you got to come through the chicane of every track. Just uh, one, one, several one times time. a friggin' race, they have pit stops and pace cars and yellow flags. It's the same thing. That's what they're trying to get. And you would never hear a NASCAR guy say, dude, I don't fill the car with gas. It's not my fault I forgot that the car is going to run out. They're trying to do what every other sport has, which is built-in things to add craziness to the event. And a pace car and pit stops and NASCAR and every other motorsport, because they all have it, uh, is, is one way to do it. How about, I think you two have listen. been, just like the Toronto mayor, have been smoking crack and going on benders because this has no place in a championship series introduced as a gimmick in a one-off race oh and all of a sudden God, being listen. instituted in, into this. There, Dude, there's no way. It's You're exciting. Look, look at NASCAR. I don't follow NASCAR that much, but what do they have? They call it a lucky dog where it's the last guy – on, on the, the lead, lead lap, lap gets, on the, yeah, gets on the caution, the, gets, right. gets brought back around. Right, gets brought back around. Can you? Oh, my that's God, ridiculous. what a gimmick. What a, that's so ridiculous. Oh, my that God. That one is ridiculous. That's what going a little <laughs> Well, I'm just saying it's a gimmick. It's a gimmick. And they use it, and it, the announcers talk about it, and it adds an extra uh, uh, thing to the race. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Iser, we're just asking the guys to remember to take an extra lane. <laughs> what you know? I think it is is oh. – Boo-hoo, we've actually added some level of strategy to a professional sport with millions of dollars on the line. How dare we actually have strategy instead of just pin it? There's a strategy. Uh, There's strategy in every sport on earth where there's this kind of money on the line. You're not asking much. The lucky dog I hate because it's not even fair for everyone. It's one guy gets it. But in this case, everyone has to take a joker lane. You figure out when to do it. Part of the strategy. Yeah, that, that would be like saying, hey, it's not fair with the defense. Yeah, they, that would be they great. They plays. That's not fair. They use strategy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right, let, me, let me ask you this, purist. What about the, the, the upsurge of people wanting to want lappers to, to get black flagged after a certain point in the no, race? You want, no, you want no. lappers to be out of the race now? You, no. want, you want that to be gone as part of a... Uh, a something that, that that racers have to get through to get to win. No, don't be. Don't no, lappers be, don't, are good. Yeah, lappers mess things up. Okay, right. okay. They, they, I was they, making sure you guys haven't gone completely off the deep end they, because uh, you qualify for the night race, you get as many laps as you can to the checkered flag. This okay, pulling yeah, off man. bullshit is, is not. Are you are you okay with with semis then, Iser? Is that okay? With what semi races coming back? I love that idea, and, and let me tell you why. People like Brock Tickle and uh, and and um, 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 Will Hahn, Tomac, some of these guys that are that are moving up, and some of the guys that have been there for for a while. This is an awesome opportunity for them to race for for a checker fly, get some more track time, get back into the into the event, um, and and not just be that eighth guy in a in a heat race. I mean, I, I love the idea for several reasons, but some of the best racing we've seen. You know, throughout Supercross's history, some of them have been in heat race battles, and uh, I agree with that for several reasons. One, it gives the fans more gate drops to watch. It gives some riders that are mid-pack, you know, top five, top ten riders, a chance to, to fight for, you know, checker flags throughout the evening, and, um, it, you know, gives the fans more, more bang for their buck. Okay, what about 22-man uh, main events in both classes? I've, I like that, too. Okay, what about 450s going first, the very beginning of the night show? I don't like that. <laughs> okay. Iser's very yeah. angry today. He's very, very angry. No, Rich. I'm not because I have been in the parking lot, <laughs> you know, getting <laughs> – I have been that guy late to an event, and I, I don't want to miss, you know, any of that stuff. But I do believe it should be – you know, I, I don't even like the idea of the Outdoor Nationals doing that. I think that the premier class should, should, should uh, you know, be treated as such.
Okay. We, what do you think of all these things? I'm in favor of all of them. And I want the Jericho Lane, and I want some races that have three 10-lappers. Ooh. That's a good point Isaac brings up about these showing up late for a Supercross. I think outdoors is not a big deal because I don't know if anyone plans on getting there at exactly 1 o'clock. It's right. more of a you get there when you get there thing. But for Supercross, I mean, I've been late to every single thing in my life. I just told the story about how I missed the first, first quarter of a game. <laughs> right, I paid right. a lot of money to go see. Right. So that would suck in that time span if you actually missed the 450 heat. Um, the reason I had thought it was an awesome idea is because this is the weird thing that they do in Supercross. We have these huge opening ceremonies and lights and fire and music and all this stuff, and let's get it going. we got the biggest stars in the world ready to go back to the pits for 20 <laughs> minutes, and let's go have a race with riders that we haven't even mentioned yet. How yeah, guys with no spotlights on them have, are not doing anything right now. How long yeah. until some jerky-ass jerky team says, hey, we can't you need to cut your interview short with my guy because he's heat one and he needs to get to the line or have his drink or his his trainer needs to give him a handy or like whatever, whatever it is. You know what I mean? But we don't want to be interviewed that long or, you know what I mean? How long until some teams are telling Feld, we can't, we need a, we need a 10 minute break between the introductions slash heat one of the four fifties. Otherwise my rider will be mentally disturbed. How long? Boy, that would be a, a tough case because uh, you know once once they do that and they, they they pull their jackets off, it's it's almost like you know t- to me that's a you know right. a pretty empty argument. But I do see your your point. What what if you know uh, Kevin Windham did did a nose wheelie and goes over the bars and he's got to run back to the pits and get put a, cl- a perch on his bike? Or I mean, it could be you know it could be se- several things. What, what if something has a, has a problem on their bike on the parade lap doing? You know, doing the uh, the train whips. You, I don't know. You mean just doing the dead sailors? They don't even do that anymore. They took that away, thankfully. They don't what, do the, the, they the don't train do, whips. They don't do the hot laps anymore. Beginning of the show because no one was doing anything. Oh yeah, because they yeah you know, they, they shine a bright light in their face, make them do it in the dark. I I I, I no, I, I mean I no, no, no. The lights are on at this point. No, after they've been introduced, they used to get the top four guys to do like a little parade. Yeah, lap. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, they they don't do that anymore because the guys weren't doing anything. Like Carmichael used to go upside down, and McGrath yeah. would do the knack knack, and you know people would be just orgasming in their seats over this yeah, stuff. Yeah. Well, now they don't do that if you notice because the top guys just don't do anything. So why have you asked them why they don't? Is it yeah. spending energy? Um, what is it? Risk. Yeah, I've asked them why they don't. They don't really have a good answer. Kennard was doing knack-knacks, though, and he said he loved it and he would always do knack-knacks. But yeah. they just finally took it away from everybody else. I don't understand. James Stewart can go upside down on a motorcycle. But yet somehow and, he would just do, you know, a little tiny butt whip. And, and when you have 50,000, 40, 50, 60,000 people staring at you for that one second as a rider, they're all show-off artists anyway. They, they want people to stare at them. Why would you not take that opportunity to make everybody go ooh and ah? I, I don't understand that. I don't know either. I don't know either. Um, Weege, are you still mad at Cole Seeley? And I, we had Cole Seeley on the Pulp Show, and he. No, I've actually shifted uh, the anger. The anger is still there. Okay. But uh, it's actually been shifted to you and Ping. <laughs> nice. I like that. Uh, Transfer yeah. of anger. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, now I'm not saying that at this point where Cole and I are going to double team on you guys. We've become from you know. It's not going to be double. Yeah, it's not going to be but, WWE uh, or anything. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I was. Okay. Well, I'm especially mad because I even had to listen to your darn show from Monday, which makes me angry enough. Yeah. Just one to more, get my facts straight. One more click so. away from DMXS. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, no, you wrote a column and you did not say. You said 
favorites like Muskan, uh, Wilson, and Baggett. You did not I wrote say a story saying Cole this Sealy. is what is weird about the 250 class for 2014. You have a bunch of riders who have won titles that wanted to move out of the class that probably were going to move out of the class, and then stuff went sideways for them, and now they have to stick around. Baggett had a horrible year. He's back. Uh, Wilson had a horrible year. He's back in the class. Muskan would have pointed out if he had beaten Wilhan for the title, although the AMA is not sure. They don't <laughs> yeah. know what they're on rule book. I don't point either. is, Wilhan was Muskan's rival. He moved up. Wilson and Barsha were rivals, moved up. Baggett and Tomac were uh, battling two years ago. Tomac moved up. Baggett stayed down. So you've got these established guys that got left behind in the 250 class. They're expected to win because they've won the major titles before two national titles and a world title between those three. But you also have this deep rookie class, the largest group of rookie factory back riders we've probably ever seen. What a weird combination to see Baggett and Wilson and Cincerulo on the same team battling for the same spot. It's going to be so strange to have these old guys who wanted to be out of the class and these new guys who are just getting started. That the story was about. It was not a list of contenders. Well, it was not a 250 West preview. I reread the story. I feel like you didn't do a good enough job of saying that Baggett, Wilson, and Muskan are established champions, and that is why I'm bringing them up. You just listed the favorites. The favorites uh, at the for beginning the... of the story, it says that they are the riders who have championship credentials. Ooh. Yeah, but I just I, re- I read it this morning again, and I, I know what you're saying, and I did misspoke, misspeak, uh, or misspoke. I misspoke or misspeak. I don't even know if that's a yes, word. You and Hingry said to Cole Seeley, yeah, why well, can't wrote a story? It had a list of riders, of the 250, and you weren't on the two, list. It was not a list of riders. It was not a 250 Supercross West Coast preview at all. No, and no. it wasn't a list. Right, and there was no was list. Neither. Well, look, he took offense to it. So, clearly, yeah. you know, your point wasn't well taken or received. Hey, I used the race race comment section as my guide, as always. <laughs> and the very oh, yeah, that, that's a Bible of intelligence right there. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I mean, if it's... Whatever they say, you can sleep well at night going with right, that. And not a right. single person was like, hey, where was, why wasn't Sealy mentioned? They were like, I don't know. I like Jeremy Martin. I think he's going to be good. Oh, Cooper Webb, that's going to be interesting. Oh, I can't believe Wilson's still in the class. That was the point of the story. It was not a list of here are the riders that can win this year. Let me ask you this, Weege. Being the premise of that, that was the thesis of your article, how is that any different than it's always been. There are always the hanger-oners. There's always the, those that are holding on to make to win that championship before they move. I mean, what, what was the premise other than the, the three riders you mentioned? I think it's a little more extreme than usual. I mean, Wilson's ticket was already punched. He was already on the team racing a 450 and yeah. had to go back. Like, that is bizarre. Like, that to go that far into the 450 class and then return. Yeah. But okay, if you had the circumstances, Anaheim last I think, year, if you talked to Wilson and Baggett, what are the chances of you racing 250 Supercross again in 2014? Zero. Yeah. Zero. Zero. But um, it's not it a never bad had that thing. I, I think to me, um, not that the, the class is weak, not that there's a lack of talent, not that there's a, like there's a lack of depth, but a fallback for an injury or a fallback for, for unforeseen circumstances like that Wilson went through into, a, into that class to me is a great net. I, I don't fault them for, for using the net. Well, oh, I don't either. Yeah, no, worked, I, I have no problem with it. Worked well yeah, for okay. Langston, too. Yeah, it worked well for Langston. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I just, I don't know. See, you should have put Sealy in there. You should have said vets like Cole Sealy. That's all. That's it. 
And see, and that's another thing that's crazy is Steely is. I mean, you, you, you know, we always think of him as, as that young kid that you know, whatever, but he, he's been there long enough, won enough races, contended, and you know, uh, doesn't have a championship to to be mentioned in the same breath as the guys that, that we each talked about. But it wasn't a favorites, it wasn't a favorites uh, preview. So I, I'm, I'm going to take the side of Weege on this one. Screw oh yes, screw you. Ida. Yes, I'll yes. send you a link to the article. Hey, you can read it. And another thing, too, is with, with Wygant, I, I will say this about him, as quirky as he is, as totally sometimes off the wall as he is, he is very um, strong-headed and strong-willed, and I admire this about him. Things about when, he, when you – and, and Mathis, you guys are in the same boat on this. DMXS is not – we haven't been a journalist for years, so we get to be everybody's friend. But Weed has always said when, when a writer takes note, takes exception rather, when they're – Criticized or whatever it's not. It's that's that's life. Suck it up. And I I always like how he doesn't go back and try to you know uh, appease the writer. It's, he wrote a piece. That's the piece. Live with it. Well, and I did say to Celia on the show, like I had Wygant's back as far as like, well, I said he you know he might have overlooked you or whatever, but there was no need for that response. Yeah, I did say that, Weege. I yeah, said, you did, and I, he and he said, you know what? I probably shouldn't be getting that mad over some little bench racing thing or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, because uh, I, you know, I'll, um, you're absolutely right, Isaac. I mean, those riders that, that say this, like, go prove us wrong, or go, go who cares? Right. You know, go. Who cares that you're but not listed in there? Here's what gets me mad about it. Here's what gets me mad about it. If Cole's cool with it now, it's not going to be a problem. But what gets me mad about it is, I didn't say I didn't leave him out because I don't think he can win Anaheim. Like, if you put a gun in my head right now and say, who do you think? is the best rider in 250 West, not even necessarily knowing who's racing it, but we know the Troy Lee guys are. You might say Troy, uh, uh, Cole's number one or one of the best. Like, if you really think about it, he could easily be the favorite, and I agree with that. I think that. Um, but I knew if he hadn't calmed down between then and Anaheim 1 and he wins Anaheim 1, you would get the Racer X didn't believe in him. Racer X didn't think he could do this. Nobody believed in him. You would get all that crap, and that's what I was getting so mad about. I'm like, here it comes. Here right. comes the nobody believed in him. Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. That's what drives me nuts. Well, Davey you... Millsaps winning the 450 title last year, that would have been out of the – Cole Sealy winning the title last year would not have been – that no. they, I mean, he, he's, he, he comes into the, each year as a contender now. So that's, I think that's what he took offense to, is that right. it's kind of a given that he is a contender. If he won the title, it wouldn't have been that, that outside the realm of, of what the season started as. Um, and I think that's kind of what he took exception to. Yeah, yeah, I understand what he's mad about. In, I understand. In, in today's, but yeah, in today's oh day and age, you, you either, you either uh, are basically blowing the dude or you hate his guts. Mm-hmm. That, that's it. That's that's how it works. There's no in between. You, if you if you don't, you know, write some lavish piece, then you hate him, and you want him to die. You're just like, yeah. well, what about just like he's okay or whatever, you know? It's and a that's not just motocross. That's no, no, no. That's everything. Yeah. That is everything for sure. The Racer X comments. I was uh, last week. I thought they were awesome because that one guy said I was the best journalist in the sport, and yeah. my podcasts were incredible. And undoubtedly, I, I love the Racer X comments. But then. Uh, our own Jason Thomas made sure to forward one this week that said I was terrible. I interrupt everybody, and I the, and this this Rex commenter doesn't know why I have a job or something. So very very torn on the Racer X comments for me myself. Little reality check, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, uh, so Iser, um, how's DMXS doing? DMXS Radio uh, Wednesday nights. Um, 
on verbmoto.com, hosted on there. Can you go to yeah, BMXS.com? It's, it's hosted on verbmoto. We uh, we gave up our our uh, form years ago when it you know withered on the vine because we we did one show a week, so you know we weren't relevant. We didn't post results. We didn't post anything like that. So uh, Verb kind of uh, absorbed us, which is awesome because. Uh, you know their their site was already you know had all the bandwidth everything we possibly needed so it, it worked out great. This December will be twelve years. Wow, twelve Jeez. the twelfth year anniversary of the fledging radio show, and we always say we started out with probably four listeners up to a hundred easy, <laughs> easy twelve easy, years. Right. We got about twelve six to eight a year uh, of 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 uh, constant stuff, but we're we're having fun and and again. I, uh, I I admire you guys because you do have to be on the front line and, and actually you know criticize and do this stuff. We you know to me it's uh, it's kind of like a talk show at night. You don't go on there to criticize people. We're not trying to tear anybody down. Um, you know I have a lot of respect for everybody in the sport trying to trying to make a living at this. So I don't have to worry about being critical. And uh, so we're you know we're, we're we're having a fun time. And I actually got an email from a guy. Every time I want to pull the plug on this and be like. You know, it, we, we, it's run its course. It's, you know, got a letter from an email from a guy that that uh, took five years to finish college, which is a, basically our demographic for DMX. <laughs> um, and he he said that his girlfriend lived four or five hours away in uh, Colorado, and he said, "Man, I just want to let you know that you know DMXS for five years." I listened to your podcast, driving back and forth to my girlfriends, and, and you guys, you know, you, you were basically road trip buddies with me and stuff like that. So, yeah, um, it's just I mean, little things like that make it make it worthwhile. Well, your first ever guest, Tim Ferry, by the way, and and Tishner and Ferry. I mean, how right. what a you know, Ferry is I think was our was our golden goose. He, uh, you know, everything you, went uphill from what there. A, what a start! All downhill from there. Yeah, that's All what I'm down, saying. We um, couldn't top that show. The uh, twelve years. So how many episodes? Because I know, like, I started the Pulp Show. I think we're in year five of the Pulp Show, or going into year five. We've done 150 shows, and it feels like five thousand. Yeah, we did. I added up. We counted up on one of my hard drives, and this was was included all of the, all of the local race, all the uh, regional stuff that we did, the, the Loretta stuff, everything. It was over 500 episodes. I don't know what it is since then. We we average about two to three a month. Um, I know that uh, you know people bitch about not having free content all the time, um, but you know we so we're not. We're not uh, as regular as as clockwork, but we yeah. try to average two or three uh, uh, a month. We get weeds on at least two of those shows um, because he always answers our, uh, our answers my text. But, um, yeah, it's over 500 shows, and um, just think about all the money that we spent down the drain that will never, ever, ever, ever be recovered, and it's uh, still fun. It's yeah, that's it's good. good. No, it's good. It's good to hear. Yeah, you guys, like you said, you've been doing it originally, original for that, that long of a time. And, and also, I imagine when you guys started, the technology wasn't very good. You know, it was maybe shaky and a little, like I, I know I go through all this now. Where, yeah, it, you know, it was a speakerphone. With the uh, mic, uh, was it really down towards the speakerphone? That's how we. That's how it started with the guest. Jeez, wow! You know? That is wow! That is crazy. <laughs> hey, isn't it nuts though? Um, and you don't realize this, but like the guy that drives back and forth in Colorado, and, and you know, I do all these podcasts, and I got the show, the Pulp Show, and stuff. Isn't it crazy to really like people? And this is a good thing, but sometimes it's a bad thing, or it's a weird thing. Uh-huh. People really feel like they know you well. Like totally. They, yeah. you know, they want to talk about what I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know how much personal stuff you get into on DMXS, but I, I, mean, I imagine quite a bit and sex you know, so, lives, everything. So when they talk Experim- to, experimental, yeah, <laughs> right, things like that, yeah, the masks and ball gags. <laughs> like people, you know, they ask me how my wife's doing, how my dog's doing, and it's yeah. a little, and I'm like, oh yeah, I talked about that, you know, like somebody threw a a, 
a rock through my truck window. And, and one guy came up to me and was like, hey, dude, uh, sorry about that rock. And I'm like looking at him, and I'm like, oh, the ridgeline, the, the rock. And, yeah. You know, he's like, ah, you know, like, I mean, it was cool, but it's a little off-putting sometimes where you're like, wow, I forgot I talked about that. Yeah, and and, uh, and somebody will say, "Hey, I, I was on, I was in your I was in your uh, your chat room, um, KX one twenty five nineteen seventy nine D rider C class." That's just like a username. Right. Remember my question? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you're you like, know. no, no, I really don't. It's it's cool. It's really cool that you know that people get that attached to it, but it is a little weird sometimes where you, you kind of forget about it. So. Yeah, I've seen Weed you know, sign autographs. You want to talk about weird? You talk about how relevant Weigand well, is. I've seen him, him and Fro with the Sharpies. Yeah, they busted out. Oh. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that's what you should be uh, impressed with, Weed. Not that writers, not that, uh, fam- it's that writers give a shit what you say. Yeah, Weed. That's pressure. Well, it all started uh, at the RaceRex booth at Unadilla a couple years ago, and uh, I was just there handing out stickers or whatever we do, and this guy's like, man, I can't believe you're really here. And I'm like, well, yeah, you know, I work for the magazine. I just... I just didn't think you'd be out here. Like, I just thought you'd be in the pits or something. Well, yeah, but, I, you know, I work for Acer X. I try to stop by every once in a while. Well, do you, do you mind if I get a picture with, with my son? Sure, sure, sure. sure. Yeah. There, there he is. There he is, Jake. Chad Reed. Yeah. <laughs> Chad Reed. <laughs> I did not know that. I have not Works heard that story. Looks just like him. <laughs> I have not heard that one. That's good, though. I think uh, Chad had the curly, the curly fro that year or whatever. Right. Something similar right. on the surface. Uh, Let me ask you this, Matt. This is as successful as you are, and, and you exhaust me with the, the, the amount of content you put out. Literally exhaust I, me. I exhaust myself. what you do. I exhaust myself. But let me ask you this. Do you believe, I mean, what is the, what is the li- lifespan of, of what we're doing? I mean, do you, do, you, do you have this, are you running from the fear that this will be the way of the Jim Holly, Jason Wygant, you know, uh, live web from, from the Supercross, do you, you think that that's something that is eventually going to be irrelevant? I, I would argue that the webcast is more than ever needed and relevant, and that was a terrible decision, and it still is a terrible decision. Yeah. So, it's more relevant now that they have every race live on TV? How does, it, how does it become more relevant than ever? Because it's a worldwide audience that can't see the race on TV. Yeah, now you're splitting hairs. Now you're down to the handful of people that will <laughs> listen to a live webcast in Europe. What about people anyone that wants to listen to a live Supercross at all because you had no alternative even in the U.S.? Uh, I mean, look, they, they still have radio shows of the NFL games that are on every Sunday and Monday. I know, but who the hell listens to that? That's... There must be enough people. And, I mean, there's people who work on, on, on Saturday nights. There's people who are at the, the campground. Uh, you know, there's people all over the world that don't have access. To, uh, yeah. No, this are. is my argument. People ask me all the time about how long is DMXS going to keep going, and I tell them that, that Kevin and I, at any time, we could have a, just a full-out fist fight and end it at any time. <laughs> we, we, are, we are any rock band at any point just ready to end it. Uh, but, <laughs> but here's my point is that the radio, to me, is the, is the last bastion because the, the little video clips and stuff at the track where the riders are in their workplace and you get the, the scripted stuff, this is the last bastion that's not in print of hearing the inflection in the rider's voice, to hear some type of you know, passion or some type of whatever in, mm-hmm. in, in a rider where it's not in print, and you get a side of them that you don't get you know, at, at, that, at the track environment. And that's the only thing I hold out hope for with, with the future of podcasts and, and, and our sport is that fans just love that because there's not many, very many places they can still get it. 
Weege, wouldn't that be cool to see or to listen to Iser and Kevin Kelly just start fighting on the air? I, I feel like I have. Oh, I have. Are you kidding me? Twice, once a month, Mathis. Once a month, it, it comes down to it. Um, it. You call it that time of the month? Is that what you call it? Uh, <laughs> Kevin and I are fighting. See, I, uh, Kenny Watson and I definitely had some tense moments, but he's gone now. So yeah. my, my life is much easier. Uh, although, although I, you know, we we do miss the gold that Kenny would drop every now and then. Um, Dude, you don't understand. Is is the chemistry the opposites of any radio show, whether it's morning radio, sport, whatever? It's that is the chemistry that people love. They they don't want the predictable. They want that that possible fight. They want the the tension. And you know, and, and Kevin and I, we agree on, on, a, on a bunch of stuff. But he and I are different in every aspect of our lives, personality wise. I'm the A type. Mr. Anal, super whatever, and Kevin's not. So it's just, you know, he, that, that is where the tension and, comes from. And, is we are complete opposites, but you know, yeah. I love him like a brother. But Kevin's not <laughs> at all. Right? He tries out. Who's on the show tonight? Mother. <laughs> I uh, I don't. You know what? I don't. I don't know um, how long it'll go for. I, I mean, I I guess I'm in this to make money, as I've told you before. Ooh. Like I'm if I'm breaking even or losing money doing all of this, I'm not going to keep doing it. And and to be honest, I, I don't know anything about your guys' finances, but I feel like yeah. you're not getting rich off the show. You know? No, yeah, um, and the thing is, is but what we do is what we've done. And we're not looking to grow. We're not looking to, to add con. We're not looking to do that stuff. And, and what we're doing yeah. is we all have different jobs. This is never was never for us to, to do this. And that's why, you know, our mission statement is a lot different than you. And that's why when I look at you, I see – that you have to continue. So it's just like a magazine and, and yeah. weeds with, with content. I mean, you guys are constantly looking for, and that is exhausting. It almost would make me hate the sport. <laughs> I think we, <laughs> I think we sometimes really does. Are you kidding me? This is a step. I have to say, I've, I've, I've defended myself as best I can in this Cole Sealy situation, but stories like that wouldn't get written at all. If you didn't have, to uh, fill spots all the time. Yeah, there probably yeah. wouldn't have been a story at all, which would have prevented anyone from getting mad. So <laughs> right. absolutely bad things happen when you have to churn out that much, and it definitely leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Well, I will tell you this. If you, and people, I didn't even realize this until I started reading some of the, the uh, NFL forum boards, is they talk about ESPN and how they bait their news headlines are bait for the controversy. And they totally are. If you look now on the, the news feed on, the, on uh, ESPN's NFL page, it, all the headlines are the most controversial, baitline, subjective things they can possibly do, but it's that constant overturn of information, and they know that in, in this uh, everybody's short attention span, if that little headline doesn't grab them, they're not going to get a click. That's why we really wanted to put Lake Crapsonore for the headline <laughs> but on Racer X, but he just couldn't do it. I don't know why. I'm not sure why, but it just wasn't allowed. It was very strange. Jason Wygant, are you happy that you got Springsteen, you got Jovi, you've got the Supreme, you got a lot of things to be proud of, but Supercross is coming back to your beloved New York slash New Jersey. How do you feel? It's going to be a real nervous moment, I think, for the sport. It really has nothing to do with, uh, but you'd be surprised, but it really doesn't have anything to do with me, personally, much as I wish it did. Um, Although, I, I would bet, Wygant, and yeah. I... You're probably one of maybe 25 people that were last at a Supercross in New Jersey. Well, I was there, man, all four years, 87 to 91. Right. So, okay. so Dan, yeah. so I'm thinking like Dan Bentley was there, and uh, Rick Ash maybe, 
That's a good. Uh, that's a hey. We need to fill content on our website. That might be a story we need to do. <laughs> yeah, uh, April. Oh yeah, good, good good point. Well, actually, it's gonna it's gonna be on Pulp next week. So oh um, shit, he, he jumped you. <laughs> Damn it. Um, got stuck in the gate. No, but you. Yeah, there aren't too many people around who were who were there to see Eddie Warren get third in '87. Um, and then a few weeks later, Eddie Warren won the 500 class at the Kawasaki Race of Champions in New Jersey. He really seemed to like that Jersey soil. It seemed to work well for him. Yeah, Michigan Mafia. But anyways, I, I feel... Yeah, anyway, yeah, it's yeah. a big test for the sport because we started this podcast saying, you know, for example, uh, uh, the numbers in the stands based on the point standings. And my argument was, unfortunately, not enough people follow the sport closely enough to even know that. You're just hoping that enough people show up to fill the place because they think it's cool, or there's jumps, or there's action, right. or crashes even. I don't know if everyone can name the top ten riders. Then you're going into a market that uh, is pretty out of the loop. I mean, yeah. yeah, I'm going to say it's uh, not exactly a mecca of, um, <laughs> you know, southeast and California and all that. It's not exactly a mecca of motocross up there. And as far as the spectacle part, well, they got a lot of choices. Um, I think it'll be okay attendance-wise just because people can come not just from New York City, but if you look at the amount of people that were within a three-hour drive of the stadium, it's, what is it, like 20% of the entire population of the country? It's one. It's know? actually one billion people, I checked. Yeah. When you take Washington, <laughs> D.C., Boston, Philadelphia, and New York City, um, you've got a lot of people to get 50,000 from. Are you really nervous? Are you fearing a, a low turnout? I, I am. I absolutely okay. am. I mean, the turnout was... Well, the stadium's huge, too. Huge. Uh, so, like... The turnout the Rose was... Ball, but it's big. The turnout was terrible when they had the race uh, the first time around. So this is a real test of how much has the sport grown. It was completely invisible. You know, in California, I'm sure they were all about it. They always were Anaheim. It was big in the 80s, 70s, whatever. But how much has the sport grown from when 12,000 people showed up in 1991 to now? It's really going to be a test. This. What, what about the Southwicks? The high points, the, all the, all that. Do you believe that that is going to reach out far enough to get that national crowd there? But it didn't then. I mean, they had high points at Southwick Fent. So yeah. you, you have to try to think of how much the sport has grown. I remember when they had the big retro night in 2006. And, you know, back then I did the Supercross webcast. I was in all the meetings for that. And the crowning moment of that retro night was supposed to be when Rick Johnson and David Bailey took their lap. Don't get me started. Don't get me started. Oh. Don't get me started. On, there, on, a, on a Honda and a KTM. Taking... <laughs> Just like that night in 86. <laughs> RJ and a KTM. <laughs> do you think RJ putting the number five in the KTM actually made it worse? I think so. Yeah, I do. I do, actually. Yeah, good point. <laughs> I'm pretending it's the same. About the only thing that could have made it any worse was driving out on a Duke. <laughs> you know, that's about it. That's, that's a big bike. <laughs> that's about so it. The plan was when people see David Bailey ride again, you know, at the stadium, people are going to go nuts. And they really didn't. They went nuts when Carmichael and, and uh, or sorry, McGrath and Carmichael came out and did some stuff together. Here's why. Because McGrath made the sport a whole hell of a lot bigger than it was before him. So you've got a big group of people in the stands that are kids. They weren't around in the Bailey Johnson years. And you've got to give credit to the people. This sport has grown. They've done a good job doing it. But that means that stuff that happened 25 years ago, there's a lot of fans that don't know about it. So we're going to see how much it's grown. What, what, what is your perception of this? And I've, I've been asked this too. I don't have a solid answer. Everybody talks about the, the silent um, minority or the, the vocal minority on forum boards, meaning if, if 100 people 
say something, what does that translate into the real population? And people are, have always, for the, for the last 10 years, been clamoring for a supercross in the southeast. Do you believe that that is a, a groundswell movement, or that's just happenstance of people that want to race and they don't have to drive so, you know, far for? Because there is a vocal, minor, a vocal uh, presence on the forum boards for, for supercross in the southeast has been for a while. You mean in the southeast? Like, oh, no, I'm sorry, northeast, I'm sorry, yeah. Uh, I, I don't, I, I don't think that's it. I think it's, you want to be a big time sport. It's pretty obvious what the largest media market in the country, if not the world, is in New York City. It's got to be on your radar all the time. I'm sure it. Um, I'm sure they probably thought about it every year. It's that time again. Thanks for listening to the Racer X podcast show, brought to you by BTOSports.com, presented by Thor MX. I appreciate it. Don't forget to click on the Amazon banner on pulpamex.com to help out pulpamex.com. We appreciate it. Listen to these commercials. Buy from these sponsors. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side. The Podcast Show is brought to you by BTOSports.com. Whether you are looking for new gear, helmets, boots, or you need to rebuild your bike from the ground up, BTO is your source for all of your motocross needs. As a proud sponsor of the BTO Sports KTM race team and the heart of the BTO Sports amateur motocross team, it is obvious that we are about more than being just a store. We support the sport that supports us. us. We at BTO Sports want to give back to you, the listener, for supporting us and the Racer X Podcast Show. Use coupon code Pulp MX when placing your order at btosports.com for a VIP listener discount. Certain brand restrictions will apply. For 2013, JT Racing enters its next generation with the all-new Evolve Light, ProTech, Enduro, and Limited Edition collections, taking quality and innovation to a whole new level. Also available in youth sizes, each collection is built with high-grade materials offering its own unique characteristics to meet the demands of today's riders, both recreationally and competitively. To find a dealer or view the entire collection online, log on to JTRacingUSA.com. Championship proven. Many motocross apparel brands make that claim, but only Thor can back it up. As America's first motocross apparel brand, Thor has set the standard for delivering the highest quality performance racewear on the market for the past 45 years. With champions like Ryan Villapoto, Blake Baggett, and Dean Wilson to name a few, our products truly are championship proven. To see all the new 2013 products, visit ThorMX.com or head to your local Thor Parts Unlimited dealer. Thor, the official racewear of Supercross. God bless them. Um, you know, they, they're, they're doing this, and I hope it works and everything else. But they are, to me, they are greatly overestimating, like, oh, we're going to get our guys in early, and they're going to go to all these media opportunities, and we're going to expose the sport. And, like, you know, good for them. Go on. Go on and do it. But uh, it w- won't make any difference. We're, we're a niche sport. If it's going to grow anywhere, it's in Southern California where dirt bikes and, and off-road riding reign supreme and, and where, you know, it's a cool hip sport and it had McGrath. And I'm sorry, but going to New York City, I know they're, they're, it's the media capital and everything. I just don't see it. I, I don't see it. Hopefully it, sells, hopefully it sells good and, you know, we go back there and everything else. But as far as, like, 
we're taking the sport to a new, whole new level. Well, if Jay Leno didn't do it and David Letterman didn't do it, then going to New York City for a Supercross isn't going to do it either. Wow. What? Uh, whoa. Sorry. Whoa. I mean, that's... Condemnation. Well, look, I mean, it's... It can't hurt. It's not going to hurt the sport, you know, but I don't – there's – I just don't see this growth. I just don't see this. Well, now we're in New York City, and our guys are being paraded around to the different news stations that, that A, will have them, or B, know who they are, and I just don't see it, you know. But, Steve, you have to, uh, you have to admit that three races in one – one venue is embarrassing for the growth of the sport. They're trying something. They've eliminated the Anaheim Three. They've gone further north into California. They're reaching out into the Northeast. These are all, to me, tentacles of growth. You know, if, if it doesn't work out, then okay, we'll we'll pull back. But well, um, it, it ha- how else are you going to know? Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's going to hurt. Yeah, not saying that. Um, okay. Not you know, good luck to it. But it's I don't think it's going to be this boom that they that they think or they hope for. Three Anaheims, yes, yeah, uh, definitely, you know. But, I mean, even Weeds, you can vouch for this. The the third Anaheim for a number of years definitely was pretty empty. Sure. There, there was no doubt that there was people that had enough after two Anaheims. Yeah, yeah, the first couple of years of all three, they could sell out no problem. So I don't know if people just got sick of it or over it, or maybe, uh, maybe Iser's right about the the points each year, the level of hype each year, but uh, – well, you, to, to speak to yeah. your, your your educated uh, electorate or, or demographic, Anaheim would be that. If, if if it was a tight battle, that's where the third round would sell out because they're very educated and they follow the sport well. True. And maybe that's True. what you know. I was kind of thinking more towards those early early rounds when uh, if if Bill Poto goes on a five race win streak and you know Dungey and Barsh, everybody's you know already thirty thirty five points down. It's not nearly as interesting as if. You know, we have three different winners in, in the first three rounds. That's true. Um, let me ask you this. Weege, maybe you can answer this, this best. There, you know, the Super Bowl is being played in that same stadium this year. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone's calling it the New York City Super Bowl. Well, Chris Christie is not happy about this. <laughs> it is in New Jersey. It is the yeah. New Jersey Jets and the New Jersey Giants. Rutherford. Where do you stand on this, Weege? Uh, yeah, I, there, it goes way beyond that. You know, the Statue of Liberty, Isaac, you probably know this. You, you've done your time in Jersey. The Statue of Liberty is even up for debate. Why? Um, what do you mean? <laughs> I've it is. Like, time. which state is it really in? New Jersey claims it's theirs. Oh, Believe really? It or not. Oh, I did not know this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's in the water. So it's like, where is the border in the water? Um, and I remember well when, uh, I think 1984, they, re- they refurbished Statue of Liberty and they had a big concert. Bringing it back to life, the refurbished Statue of Liberty starring Hall and Oates. I'm sure a favorite of all of us. Best mustache and rock and roll, baby. Man-eater, bro. So when they had this unveiling of the, the new Statue of Liberty, there was this groundswell of, wait a minute, Statue of Liberty's not in New York, it's in New Jersey. And then it started getting more and more attention in the newspapers and whatnot. And then I remember watching this concert with my family that night, and by the beginning of the night, it was... Yeah, you know, maybe it is in New Jersey. It's in the water. How do you decide? And I swear by the end of the night, they had convinced themselves. Yeah, it's yeah. New Jersey. <laughs> it's New Jersey. Hey, they How come can, nobody thought of this before? They can have the Jets and the Giants, but they don't have the boss and John Vaughn. That's right. Wow. Anyway, as far as these buildings go, okay, you can argue them uh, geographically, but would there be – Would this, do, do you think the French who built the Statue of Liberty – do you think they meant to put it in New Jersey? Was that why? 
Do you think that, that MetLife Stadium is there for New Jersey? Drive past Ellis Island and keep going to, to the Jersey. Oh, it's Jersey. <laughs> put it there. Put it in Jersey. You are kidding yourself if you're if you're claiming that it's all Jersey, baby, because all this stuff would be here without New York. It has nothing to do with New York. It's just coincidence. Do you yeah. think Feld gets Bruce to, to come out? <laughs> Maybe Ace Freely again. <laughs> How far down is Ace Freely from the boss? <laughs> like in terms of, you know, stardom. What about Snooky? Somebody. Space Ace. Um, uh, that'd be cool if the boss came out. Hey, how about the situation? Turning the 30-second card with his, uh, this ripped abs, no shirt. Boom. Yeah, I mean, Wow, Snooky, any of them. That would be good. Yeah. Where will the team stay? In New York City? Well, the trucks will stay in Jersey, but where will the team stay? You know, there's obviously hotels right there, you know, super convenient, built for, to be there for that stadium. Mm-hmm. So you would have to, you know, choose to, I want to live the New York City life and, and make it a little less convenient uh, for yourself. Uh, I would hope, I would hope some people do it. This sport is not really very urban, mm-hmm. not a very city-based sport, so I'd hope some people take the opportunity to, to take advantage, but I don't think it's going to be based in New York City, that's for sure. I'm if actually, any of the teams are smart, and, and RCH might be the one that's going to take this to the next level, if they want to get fans in their pits, have tanning beds. Just right <laughs> before the autograph line. <laughs> hey, I've got buddies in Jersey who already, as soon as the schedule was announced, they contacted the stadium to see what the rules were for camping in the parking lot. And they are so <laughs> mad. They are so mad that Friday night they are apparently not allowed to be in the parking lot, like, camping overnight. They're very upset about this. Oh, man. I think we yeah. should uh, – and maybe, like, Feld will get, bring in Wardy. I think he was the last winner there, right? Stanton. Oh, Stanton? Yeah. Oh. Well, Stanton might last be there anyway. I shot Stanton battle last time, and oh. it didn't, didn't help. Uh, um, <laughs> it didn't even help. You're right, actually. Yeah. I watched that race. Yeah, they did have a good battle. It was a good battle, yeah. Yeah. So maybe they'll um, – uh, maybe they will uh, bring Stanton back. Now, the the stadium is built on the grounds of the old one, or no? Yeah, I think it's one of those parking lot. Yeah, right next to it, yeah. Okay, yeah. So right. the other one was Meadowlands, right? Yeah, Meadowlands? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so bottom line, Weege, is this race going to be a hit? I'm a little worried, man. I really am. I'm really worried. Like I said, it's a massive test of how much the sport has grown. Can you go from the same market going from like 12,000 people to 50? In 20 years, how much has the sport grown? It's one of the best tests we're ever going to have. And this will be my thesis, because I, I still believe this, Whether even though J- Jason doesn't agree with me. If the points battle is down to less than 10 points, it's a success. If it's a blowout and Villapoto wrapped up the title three, three races ago, it's a, it's, it's a ghost town. Over, under. Yeah, the next to last round, you're right. It, there's a lot on the line there. So next to last round, it could be, it could be a blowout. Over under number of short-sighted industry people who are complaining about the drive from Seattle to New York and then before you got to go to Vegas. 50? Over or under? Dude, that is a haul. Damn. Oh, it is. And it sucks. But, I mean, they're trying. You know, they have to push the date as late as they can, mm-hmm. weather-related. And I think this was one of the dates it was opened. And it does suck for those guys. But on the other hand, over or under 50? Oh, it's going to be ridiculous. Yeah, I don't, I don't – over. Over? Yeah, okay. I just want to see Winkler having to work with, with uh, union guys. 
Is that really an issue? Is that really? Gonna, hey, is that really going to be? Get an that issue? get that dirt out of here. <laughs> <laughs> that that is an issue, huh? In New Jersey, supposedly that has always been one of the biggest issues. Why there aren't of any supercrosses in that area? Yeah, you yeah. you can't pick up a shovel without a union guy helping you pick it up, and that costs a lot of money. I'll give Feld credit. Um, you know, this is not going to be as profitable for them as racing just about anywhere else. They're doing it for the growth of the sport. Yes. So I'll give them credit. Yeah, absolutely. No, it should, should be good that way. Uh, it should be exciting. All right, let's move on to the next thing that we want to talk about, Iser, and it has to do with you and your favorite rider, the, the, your man crush, Justin Barsha. Um, Love him. Can do no wrong. What's up? Did you see that Bercy pass on his teammate? I did. And do you have a problem with that? I have absolutely no problem with that. Shocker. And, and Shocker. to be consistent, and to be consistent with this, whether it's Reed in Atlanta in 11 or Reed trying to take Villapoto wide at Vegas. I mean, I believe, I'm glad the McGrath era of no contact sport, of Supercross and Mercross is over because it is a contact sport. And if Justin Barsha is behind you and you leave him any gap, just pull your left leg up if it's on that side because it's coming. <laughs> and, and to me, it is... Like, Villapoto's corner speed, to me, is amazing. It's the most impressive part of his riding. And he is a genius at running people high on the berm without any contact. So whether you do that or whether you square it up and, and, and put somebody where they can't put their foot down, it has got to happen. This, this sport needs good, hard racing, and I would much rather see that happen than uh, you know, following in somebody's line and going over in second place. Can okay? Can Barsha? Can he win the Supercross title next year, Iser? Um, I say that this will be a a pivotal year for him. I think he's going to win some races. Uh, consistency wise, uh, it, that would be difficult to you know, that'd be difficult to, to to see. I do believe this is going to be a great step for him to move up in his career. Mm-hmm. Um, but but as far as um, consistency, that's that's what he's lacking right now. We all know that that's. That's what you need to win a title. What do you think, Weege? I think you have to first think about just the sheer luck of can Villapoto be clean for a fourth straight year? You know, mm-hmm. I, I, maybe he's already got the bad luck out of the way because he's conveniently been injured around Supercross. But uh, if he's good to go, I don't think anyone's challenging him. But if he does get hurt, and he might be just due to just not get through a Supercross season clean, why wouldn't you put Barsha right there with anybody else? Yeah. The thing that baffles me about Barsha is the, the incredible speed and then the ro- running around in sixth and seventh, the, you know, the, the next race. And that's, you know, that's, that's what he has to clean up to, to um, you know, it's got to be podiums throughout the year to, to win the title. And, and that's, you know, that, that's the thing is we all know he's got the speed and we've got the carrot in front of him. My God, we know that, that he'll chase it. Um, but I, I do believe that this is, you know, we've talked about this on the show for, for two years now, is Villapoto and Kennard, all those guys ruined the, rookie, the rookies because their expectations were raised so high with their success that the natural progression that Barsh is taking now is, is going to be that. It's gonna be, I think Tomac and, and Roxon are going to take the same progression. Poor little Will Hahn, 87 pounds, forced onto a 450. Um, I mean, I, I just think that this, that this progression – of everybody taking their bumps, their lumps uh, for the 450 class is, you know, some people might be disappointed with Barsha, but that's the, that's the, new, that's the new reality. Um, yeah. Barsha was disappointed. You bring up a great point. Barsha was pissed a lot last year, and Mathis and I would be in there like, what is wrong yeah. with you guys? 
Yeah. You're getting fourth against the best riders in the world. And he's like, fourth? You think fourth is good? Yeah. Yeah, very angry. So, yeah, very angry group of young lads these days. I'd be dancing around if I got a fourth in my rookie year. Yeah. Um, is it true you had Barsha on DMXS when he was four? I think it was kindergarten. It was six. Right. You you wooed him on to call a show by sending him a um, a, a, a a toy frog, free candy. Yeah, it was it was the typical you know just horrible luring of children onto the show. But uh, uh, you love Justin Barsha. He's your Tim Ferry. He's your Justin Brayton. You know what? And and I, I want to clear this up too, is because I do get. I get just as much hate mail as I get mail, and people say all the time that you're such a kiss ass. You never, whatever. And I, and I say this wholeheartedly: is you know Villapoto, who I don't, I do not know well. Respect the shit out of that guy. Am not going to slam him, you know, for whatever. People like Justin Barsh and some of these guys, kids I've known since they were kids growing up, they are friends of mine. So I am not going to take an opportunity. Blake Wharton doesn't have a ride this year. Um, Nico Izzy, some of these guys that, that were this, the stars. The, we've, I've lived through the Stroops and the, and the Izzy's and all these guys that have <laughs> crashed and burned and stuff. And um, I mean, I, I have a lot of compassion for these guys. And it's not the time when, I, when they come on my show that, I, that we're going to we're going to slam people. Wow, very intense, Weege. Very. Um, yeah, but don't you feel like I mean, you're not going to slam these guys, but in a way, and and I maybe exclude Blake Wharton from this. Yeah. Or, but uh, an easy, an easy, a Stroop, yeah. J Law, um, these kids screwed it up on their own. They sure did. But you know, we we had Nico on last year after another injury. He was coming back. He, he got you know got another chance with Rockstar, and and to hear the hope in his life, and hear him saying that my mom's moved back in with me. She, you know, I'm I'm back on the program. I I. I you know, I, I'm, I'm amending my mistakes. I'm trying to do the right things, all that stuff. Is to see the full cycle, the feet, you know, see the full circle of of them on top, taking things for granted, you know, crashing and then trying to build the build the way back up. You know, Josh Hill was on the, the program last week. I said, Josh, when you were in that hospital bed, and we interviewed you, and I asked you if you're ever going to earn another factory ride, and you said, I hope to someday. And I said, you're on a factory bike in 2014. He says, Well, that just kind of gave me goosebumps because you know. Everybody loves to see, you know, the guys on top fall, but everybody also loves to see the underdog, you know, come come back up. And, you know, when you do this for 12 years, and you guys have been in the sport that long, the stories always are, are, are still being told. I mean, Jason Lawrence yeah. will show up again and have another 10 years on worst J-Law form. I mean, it's, 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 it's bound to happen. All right, I guess. I, I don't quite have a compassionate heart as you. Um, <laughs> but you, but you, here's that's the thing is your job. If, I, if, if, still, you I mean, be doing your job if you if you did that because I, you are quote unquote a journalist and, and you're supposed to be objective. I'm saying I go into it saying I am not being objective. I am not trying to to, to you know to, to to sway the crowd one way or the other. I'm just saying they come on our show. It's a it's a it's a safe place to, to talk about dirt bikes or whatever else, and 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 we move on. Weege, when are we getting the Stroop comeback interview? Remember that? Yeah, I know. He said he was all about it. Uh, we were going to yeah, get right it. For Hangtown. He's preparing for Hangtown. <laughs> He'd love to talk, but uh, he didn't talk and he didn't race. We, we missed out on that. It was, good, it was a good topic for a few weeks. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, actually, remember he, during some night of Supercross, he said, I'm looking at the 2014 West Region 250 title. So, uh, oh, he did? Whole he did say that? Um, 
Yeah, he said that. He tweeted it some night during a Supercross, and like 45 minutes later, he tweeted, cheeseburger, cheeseburger, cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Hey, what, what are, like, seriously, though, for reals, and we talked about this on the Pulp Show, I'm really scared for a Wharton, an Izzy, who, who you know, has made a lot of mistakes, but uh, by all accounts is trying to turn an, over a new leaf and work hard. A Canary, a Chisholm. Where are these guys going to go? Blos. We had Chris Blos in studio. Nothing. Dude, it, no it, ride. It is abysmal out to pasture. And, you know, I, I look at Kirk Caselli, you know, lost his life racing the Baja 1000. You know, met that guy half a dozen times. Super awesome, super nice, all those things. And people talk about there's no money to be made in off-road racing and, and how – I, I, I forgot. I don't know whose wife wrote that diatribe about uh, uh, the indictment Shane on the Watts. sport. Shane yeah, Watts. but yep. and and all these things, and, and it just brings back to reality. You know, you know, Chad Reed. To me, for years, I could not get along with him being with DMXS because he was so hard to interview and he wasn't open on stuff. And just over the last six, seven years, he's become one of my heroes in the sport, just in, in what he's overcome, what he is. But on his Twitter, he says, "I'm a human first, father, rider, whatever." But that's to me, I don't ever lose sight of that. Is the people of who they are with their helmets are off first, and you know you, you see stuff like that. And that how can you not have compassion for somebody who was, as a child, didn't much have, you know, a, a choice if that was the direction they were going to be pushed, and they're not going to say no. I, I don't want to be a, a motocross star, and then they get to this point in their life, not educated, and their skill set is limited, and this is this is this is the sad story of our sport. What about that? Uh, what about that diatribe by Shane Watts' wife? Did you read it, Weech? Yeah, I yeah, didn't I like did. It. I, I, I mean, did, I understand I where she's coming from, but yeah. I don't know if I can necessarily agree with that one. And sadly, it didn't seem like a lot of people did. Like it was kind of a weird situation where I just expected people to pile on and yeah, yeah, that's right. But no, you're right. The the, the wave uh, swayed the other way quickly. Yeah, it wasn't... and we'll explain it for people who didn't read it. What she basically was saying is, you know, shame on. I guess it's shame on the fans shame or not. On, I think shame on uh, sponsors, media, fans, sponsors, and fans. Yeah. For fans Riders for not, not unionized or not, not getting together to, to, to demand more, it was, it was pretty pretty broad brush. Well, there's that, and I, I think it would be very difficult for anyone to argue against that. You know, the, the riders should get more or be paid more. I think a lot of people are on board with that. I think the part that people took uh, issue with was that she, I think, was pointing a little bit at fans like, you need to buy, you know, products from the companies that support the riders more, and you need to, you know, expect more or, 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 or take less and expect more out of the riders, those kind of things. She put a lot of it on individual people. It's easy to point at this monolith industry without naming names. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think she took some shots at, you know, the people that buy parts and race and all that stuff. Yeah. I think that's why people get a little bit mad. Yeah, one of the, maybe one of the best reasons to, uh, you know, you're upset. Uh, Kirk Caselli passed away. You're upset sleep on it, and then maybe write that up. Oh, that was emotion. That was 90% emotion, and, and right. it was obviously spent up because, you know, that was, well, I mean, it was broad, so she, it was already formulated in her mind, but I, I agree that that, and it wasn't, I mean, he hasn't even been buried. I mean, they haven't even had a funeral that I know of for him, and, and that's just not the time to, you know, I think people thought that that was exploiting, you know, the untimely death of Kurt to, to, to move that agenda. Let me ask you this. Are you guys... Do you guys take – I don't want to say take offense, but do you um, agree or do you think there's anything wrong with – I guess that's the best way to put it. Do you think there's anything wrong with – you know, a lot of riders say, oh, this industry 
only cares about you when you're good and they turn your back on you when you're hurt or when you're not getting results and, you know, screw the, screw the, all the guys that are just around when I'm doing well uh, or, you know, or whatever. There's a lot of riders that have tweeted this, said this, uh, everything else. Do you, does that upset you at all? Cause it doesn't me. That's the way the world works. That's yeah. The reality is it's, it's, uh, it's results based. And then you look at companies like MSR, and you see Nick Way, you know, still is their premier guy in their ads, and you, and you see some really long-standing relationships. You see Fly with Andrew Short. You see some of these ones that are just super, like, outside the ordinary. And so you know that there, there are great companies that are ones that stick behind riders no matter what. But it all comes down to the bean counters. I mean, I don't think people realize, we, you, can even, you can speak to this, how many times companies are sold within the industry without changing their name. So at one point, you know, one of the gear companies could, you, you know, but then they're, they're bought out by investors or somebody else. I mean, it, it all comes down to profit and, and, and the bean counters. And so they say, oh, that guy, that, that company dumped that rider. But there's a whole new string of people that are pulled, you know, a whole new group of people pulling the strings, and the public isn't even aware. Well, when you enter into this agreement of being a pro racer, when you choose to go that way, you realize that at the end of the rainbow, if you work hard and are a good rider and put in good results, there's literally millions of dollars waiting for you. Mm-hmm. If it's not, you have to go get a real job. Yeah. That's the way it is. All three of us have to get up in the morning and go to work and do what we do to work and make a living. And, you know, Davy Coombs doesn't call me to be like, hey, Steve, how's it going? You know, uh, he sometimes calls me to yell at me. Um, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like, like nobody's calling me to be like, "Hey man, are you okay? Yeah. Hey, how are you doing? You know, you know I, I, I forgot what year it was when they had that pre-Anaheim race uh, preview show with the worst lighted stage ever with Stanton and Emig and and, and somebody else. Um, and and Emig had that quote or that that stat ready about how many lights champions have won a 450 race, let alone a championship, just a race. And that, to me, was, was a st- very startling statistic because... How many was you, it? I mean, it was minuscule. It was, it was a handful of light champions, 250 champions, that went on to win a 450 race. And it just goes, shows you how much narrower that funnel gets when you get, it to, get to the premier level. So you can be a light champion. You can be a 250, 125 champion. You can be the Shea Bentleys and the, all these guys that, that went to that point and then they, they, they went no further. And you can't retire on light's money championship, I mean, unless things have changed you know, drastically. So you can't even get to that point and consider yourself successful and retire on that money. You have to get to Villapoto, Dungey, Carmichael, Reed, win the money to be able to retire. And you know, that's you those, can't those even, top guys I just said have been over the last 15 years. You can't even have Glover or Johnson money in retire. No. Those guys no. Were, were gods, you know. Weege, but do you, do, you, do you feel any sympathy or do you, do, do you go, yeah, man, it's so screwed up when these riders are saying these things or tweeting them or anything? I feel like I feel nothing. I'm, I, my cold, dead heart does not extend any sympathy to you, Mr. Rider. Well, I congratulate you on feeling that way because I do think that more people need to think like that because we, we all get very upset. You and I get very upset with the – because it's such a strange cycle. It's the people are ass-kissing so bad all the time. And we talked about this Cole Seeley thing. And if Race Rex does something to get Cole Seeley wrong, somebody else is going to swoop in there to be like, yeah, those guys are jerks. We're the awesome ones. Like, 
just such a push-pull, and I know that you and I being inside it and seeing this happen all the time, I mean, it makes our stomachs turn, it makes our eyes roll, because we also know that the day they don't, ha- there's nothing they can get out of these riders, Yeah, they're going to dump them and the rider's going to complain, and we're going to be like, well, you shouldn't have yeah. pumped on that in the first place, <clears throat> you know, and it's, the Colts leaving is one of a gazillion examples of every rider who's come through. So, yes, it's very hard for me to have sympathy because we see the, you, like you said, you better love the guy or hate the guy. It's a ridiculous cycle. And if, um, if, 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 I'm sorry. But the problem is the, the, the real issue here is that, and no one ever has a solution for this, everyone has problems and what they think should be done and somebody's screwing somebody. Here's the real issue. The sport is not that big. It is not. It's constantly being compared to other things that it is not as popular as. And what I like that people always do is they'll pick one particular stat to try to make it sound like the sport is big so they can settle that part of the argument. And what Shane Watts' wife wrote in that letter is just what everybody does. She picked one stat. She said, the industry's healthy. There's more entries at the races than ever. Well, there's a lot of other parts of the industry that are way, way, way below where they were before. And she's not the only one that does it. Fans always point how many people sit in the stands at a Supercross to the point that, oh, the sport is huge because we get 50,000 fans. But no one ever mentions that TV ratings are atrocious for Supercross compared to other sports that they want to be as big as. Atrocious. Horrible. Uh, uh, A postage stamp compared to other sports that might only get 50,000 people in those stands. You're not talking about a mainstream sport with a lot of money to go around. So everybody gets upset. Who's got the money? Why isn't the purse bigger? Why, is it, why aren't injured riders getting more money? Why isn't there a union? Why isn't there this? Why isn't there that? It starts with there's not enough money to go around. And as more money has come in, things have gotten better. There are more teams and rides now than there were, like you said, in the Glover-Johnson money days. But the bigger the sport gets, the more money there is, the happier people are. It's just the way it works. Let me ask you this, you heartless bastards. <laughs> There's no way around it, man. I would be getting paid a lot more to do what I do if the sport was bigger. It's reality for everybody. Your show, Iser, you'd be pulling a salary from your show if the sport was bigger. No one cares, Iser, how I'm doing. None of these writers call me and be like, Mathis, how's it going, bro? Hey, you want to go for a latte? Let let me ask you this, and this is, as a parent, you you can maybe even a small bit of this, is the step from amateur to pro. And you see, I think it was your interview that, that uh, Stroop broke down in tears at Loretta's when you asked him about the pressure of, you know, oh. of uh, providing for your family or, or you know, making this, this jump uh, a successful one to professional racing. James Stewart, you know, that, that famous thing when, when uh, you know, Trans World and Don Mann asked him what it's like to be James Stewart, and he broke down when he was, uh, when he was 16, 17 years old. I, that, to me, is the one part of the compassion that I do is when they, if you see these kids, they move up, the pressure, and then once they get with it, then you can argue the fact of they're ill-prepared at this age. They're ill-prepared to handle the pressures. You see these kids go off and get addicted to painkillers or drink or party or piss away all their bonuses. And that, to me, is the sad nature of this. It's a repetitive beast that has not been dealt with. And well, that's how they really, dealt with it. It's it, it, it a problem it. because, okay, what Steve is basically saying is, you know, whatever, man, that's just life, that's just business. You've got to look at it from a, uh, a very practical standpoint, right, Steve? That's yeah. what you're saying. Like, this is just the way it is. This is what you choose, right? yes, as a professional motocrosser. Right. The problem we're going to have is 
if you want everyone to look at it rationally, look at the chance that they're going to succeed, and even if they did succeed, how much money they would make. Like Iser said, if you win a 250 title, even that's not going to be a lot of money, and that's really making it, and you yeah. still can't retire. If you had every single person be realistic about that, no one would, or, or we'd probably Take lose half nope. of the people that ride motocross. Then there would be no money around for anyone because the riders that are making money, that money is coming from the people who are spending money at the amateur level to try to get to that level. The Agreed. whole system has to work together. If people start being realistic and stop pursuing their dreams, the whole thing's going to grind to a halt. So I don't know what the solution is. It's a scary thought. Well, and that's why I'm 50-50. To a certain point when they're, when they're adults and, they, and, and, and they, they can make rational decisions one way or the other, that's fine. To me, you know, growing up and seeing the amateur stuff get to that level and then that next step. But here's how the industry has curved this to me is – the Nico Izzy $300,000 contract out of amateurs is now twenty, thirty thousand 30000 and bonuses. So they've curved it, meaning that they don't have all the money to blow. <laughs> you're, you're, you're not going to have any extra um, you know, when, you're, when you're making this jump. To, you're going to have to still prove yourself. And to me, that has cleaned up a lot of the um, antics of these kids coming up that are entitled because even getting a, a good – ride uh, a top geico pro circuit star ride there's you're not financially successful or guaranteed for anything more than basically a, a minimum wage contract throughout the year yeah no. i think 20, you, 30, when the economy yeah. was going bad and salaries are going down you heard a lot of people be like man the riders are really gonna have to start earning their money now and i think we have seen a fallout of that you're right a lot more riders are riding for free or for a lot less money and i think in general a lot more riders are working harder and trying harder because you, you absolutely have to. Yeah, you, you um, don't, don't hear, the, you don't bad, hear the partying like they, they did when they were coming up with 300 or 400 grand in their bank accounts. Just yeah, and I know that people, of course, Carmichael. Carmichael was, partying, was not partying, so people, I don't believe that it has anything to do with the Carmichael influence or non-influence. It's because you could make a ton of money then and not have to train. Now you not have do anything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You yeah. have to go for it or someone else will take that ride, and you don't have any money to live off of. My favorite quote is when I said uh, to Bebo about Carmichael when he went that perfect season. I said something about being lucky. He says Carmichael's not lucky; he's earned it. He says lucky is earning three hundred grand out of amateurs without winning a race. That's lucky. <laughs> yeah, because oh. yeah, because that's that's you know that that'll never come back. Yeah, that definitely the pendulum has swung the other way, and it was out of hand there for a little while. I, I'm just yeah, I I just you get results. I know you're saying no yeah. one told the guys to do it. Let's put it this way. We all like riding dirt bikes. That's yes. why we were into this, right? We all like to do it. So it would be ridiculous for me to knock on my neighbor's door and be like, this is what I love to do. I need to make a living doing it. Can you give me money? <laughs> right. It'd be like, right. so you can do, like, sounds awesome. I would love to do what I want to do for a living, especially <laughs> play a sport for a living. Right. But that's on you, not me. So it, it does get a little rough when people are asking for donations. But I think at the other time, we all look up to motocross riders, so we all want to be. We feel bad when we see them in the gutter. Yeah, I, I, I again, yeah, I do too. But I just, yeah, yeah. the it's a all it's a dog eat dog results based business that has a reward of millions and millions of dollars. And you know, if you don't make it, and no one's talking to you, don't screw the industry. Don't say this industry sucks. You didn't make it. You didn't get the million dollars at the end of the rainbow. You know? Jason, since since you're so financially frugal, tight as a frog's ass, and that's watertight. If you were buying stock in riders and say, 
five years ago, you, you could have got in under the, the, the canard, and then you would have you know made made big gains. Villapoto turning pro, winning. I mean, the, the titles that came after that stuff. If somebody would have said to you a year ago, you can buy stock at Adam Cianciarillo or Cooper Webb, yep. which one would you have taken? And, and that, to me, is, is there are no givens in this world. I would have bought 500 shares of Adam Cianciarillo when he was on, on, on 80s. I mean, that's, that's the thing. But, but, but seeing him struggle last year, seeing Cooper Webb have a, have a better year, I mean, all those things, to me, it just is, is indicative of the roller coaster ride that, that, that these kids are on. I mean, there are no more givens. And, you know, I guess the, the new reality is never going back to the way it was. And, and, you know, the top guy that has been talked about since Stewart coming out of, uh, out of Loretta's, he struggled last year. Yeah, I, I, I know we're going to sound, Steve and I are going to be on the heartless side of this one. I'll just sum it up like this. This is the only way I can feel good. I'm not advocating the riders should make less money or should end up in the gutter or screw them. It's their decision. Uh, it's a good thing for riders to make more money. It's a good thing for there to be hope out there. It helps everybody. The rising tide floats all boats. However, in other sports which have a lot more money to pull from, when you get cut from a team, you know, there's NFL players getting cut right now, and that's the biggest sport in the world. You cut from a team. Do you think those players rail on the NFL industry for not paying them? <laughs> Thank you. Thank that's you. the problem. It's just, just the way it is. You got cut. They had a coach. They had tryouts. They only fit 40-some guys in the team. You're out, bro. Just but the they also have minimum salaries in a union, so you're, you're off. That, 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 that example doesn't work. Well, yeah, but when they get cut, they don't get that. Then they just say, I got cut. You know what I mean? They just – Yeah, when you, they, don't, when you don't perform on the track and you lose your ride, you lose your ride. Right. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're not saying at all. Like, obviously the riders who are – we're only saying the riders that complain when things are going bad. When things are going good, yeah, obviously you should be getting a pension and benefits and a minimum salary and all that stuff. It's just the, I didn't make it, my professional career didn't work out, and now I'm pissed at the industry for that. Right. Thank you. Yeah, my that, NFL career didn't work out. I'm pissed at the NFL. That's what bugs me. Or riders yeah. who I know, I know for a fact there's some riders that turned down, you know, $80,000 a year rides with some teams because they weren't happy, and now they find themselves out of the sport, and they're bitter and mad. Right. And they rejected contracts because they were, at the time, like, no, I want something better. Well, you screwed up. You made a mistake, and now you're mad and bitter. But don't be mad and bitter. Be mad or bitter at the person in the mirror. Not at the industry. So, I mean, of course, this is all generalization statements. There's plenty of, you know, shady people or teams in the industry, and but there's shady riders. You know, it's a very general statement. You can't say that for all the cases, of course. Like anything, you can't you can't make a broad sweeping statement about everything. But it, majority of the time, I feel like, you know, this is the smallest violin playing just for you. And, and injury aside, uh, you know, let's just say that, you know that circumstance aside. You are what your record says you are. That that goes to every. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, yeah. I, I totally, I wholeheartedly agree with that. It's you know this whole industry, whether it's a media guy. What about the announcing gig, Weege? Lots of people want your gig. Um, you know, uh, Denny Stevenson, David Pingree, they got kind of bounced uh, for Jeff Emig. They they mm -hmm. weren't exactly mm -hmm. super pumped on that. You know, uh, Ralph Shaheen's got the gig. Some people don't like it. Uh, not you, Weege, but I mean just fans. Um, you know, the media gig, there's all these websites and all these people that want to, you know, do that for a living. Uh, ra internet radio shows, um, whether it's a rider, a team, a sponsor, 
You know, there's lots of teams going out to, to try to snake other sponsors and mm-hmm. trying to get those dollars. It's a dog-eat-dog world we're in. That's because it. there isn't as enough money right. in the total pile. Yeah. is isn't. Dirt yeah. bike racing is not mainstream. It's not that popular. Yeah. And I guarantee you, if you went to the supermarket right now and showed Racer X or Transworld or any magazine on the cover and said, that guy makes a million dollars a year, most of the people in the store would be like, what? You can't make a million dollars a year to race a dirt bike. I've never what? heard of him. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, I just feel like the whole industry is that way. And, again, uh, I'm fortunate to make a living from it, as is Weege. And, uh, you know, we combine a bunch of jobs together to make an industry. And, Isaac, you've had a show for – you know, a successful show for, for so long now that you, you know, you guys are able to do that and able to pay for it and have, like, we earned it and it's tough and we're all fighting to stay on this giant pinwheel going around and around and make a living on dirt bikes. Exactly. Yeah. And so like, you know, so spare me the dear rider when you say that the industry shit on you and it's a terrible place. Spare me. That's all. So that's my rant. That's my rant for the day. Wow, that was actually it was cathartic. I mean, I, I think I, I think we all kind of vented, and right, uh, and I come down a little bit, uh, you know, more of the compassionate side as, as you know when they're kid kids, but as they become young adults, uh, especially when and, and if anybody ever writes a tell-all book, let's face it, this sport will be turned upside down because we know all the stories of what happens, especially you know uh, years ago of, of how crazy this, this this thing is, and it's hard to feel sorry for somebody you know is just parting their ass off six days a week and racing on the seventh. I mean, there's, I feel like, uh, I feel like almost any sport, if you were to tell all, you know, those, those, those baseball books and ball four and whatever that, you know, that turned the industry on the end. And I mean, you feel like that's with any sport when you're, once you're inside of it, it could just be, you could just, the things that everybody knows, you know what I mean? But the bottom line is, Isaac, is you want Joker lanes at every race. We got that. (laughs) To summarize this last hour, Iser wants Joker Lane, 17 rounds, done. Yeah, because we can't ask the riders, Weege, to remember to take a Joker Lane when they haven't been taking Joker Lane since Loretta Lynn's. We cannot <laughs> ask them that. That is too much. That is, we, we can't expect that out of our superstars. Uh, you realize that, that, that the, you know why there's a checkered flag, not, right? Not knowing the rules. Hey, you know why there's a checkered flag at the end of the race? Yes. So you know when to quit racing. Are they counting the laps? Or are they just racing to the checkers? So you, are they supposed to count every lap? <laughs> oh, this is number 18, number 9. I got one more, we, and if there's no flag, I know to stop. <laughs> no, they race to the checkers because they're not counting. Okay, you have a, you have a small point there. <laughs> but that is a fairly good point. That's I'll, a I'll small say. point. But we I just, did not know that I had to get both feet down inbounds for the catch to count. Right. That's, my job is to catch footballs, not to read the rule book and know that I need to put both feet down. That's that sounds, ridiculous. That sounds like something Kenny Powers would do. I just catch the footballs. I don't need to worry about the rules. Um, all right, everybody. Anything else? Anything else to bring up, or are we, did we exhaust everything? You know what's funny? We, we brought up – let me ask you guys this. Okay. Two, two of my favorite guys in the sport. I don't know this. I've said this before. I think I've said it to you, Steve. Gun to my head, I have no idea who's running our sport. No, yeah, no. Who makes the rules? Uh, when you said that Marvin Muskin, if he would have won the championship, there'd be three 450 riders in KTM. <laughs> who who makes these rules? I don't we, even know anymore. No, we've totally discussed this, Isaac, a few times. I have no clue. Yeah, no clue. We, so you don't either. I used to go to Whitelock or, or Duke and you know and ask him a question. They they tell you, but now I would not know who to go to at the race and say, nope, that guy just cut me. You know, I I have no idea who it is. <laughs> 
There's Feld. There's MX Sports. There's the AMA. There's the FIM. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, you got me. You got me. All right, well, at least I'm not the only one in the dark about that because I, I literally don't, oh. don't know, and I'm not even kidding. What complicates it even more is that um, this sport is one of the few that has this weirdo connection to, like a direct connection to what the Weekend Warrior does, right? Like they have to ride production bikes. The mm-hmm. salary of the athletes is really based on the amount of bikes and gear that are sold, mm-hmm. not the amount of people in the stands or, or the television ratings or anything like that. It has this weirdo connection. So you start putting that in the mix. Okay, so I know everybody's mad about two strokes. You know, there should just be – they should just change the rules and just have them start racing two strokes. But because of this strange connection to the manufacturers and the money they spend to promote and they pay the riders, et cetera, et cetera, it's just not that easy because unlike other sports at this level, the decisions you make for just the pros don't affect just the pros. It affects everybody, and it gets way more complicated, uh, let alone all the problems you just mentioned there with us, not even knowing who runs the top part. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Yep. You get the OEMs and manufacturers involved also. And, and then let's not forget when Weege missed the gate drop, it was all of a sudden a lot of Racer X commentators, it was their sport. Yes, the fans run it. The fans They're are like, yeah. It's their sport, and I'm just the outsider. Emig too. What does he know about motocross? Right. I just hope nobody does a study between the correlation of the people that actually win and the selling of bikes, because I, I think that that's to me is an unproven uh, as well. I think that all that all comes down to 100% MXA bike shootout. <laughs> maybe, maybe <laughs> scarily enough, you could be right. Um, all right, the BTOSports.com Racer X podcast presented by Thor MX, a uh, little bench racing session. DMXS is David Iser, Racer X is uh, Jason Wygant, and myself, Steve Mathis. Thanks, you two. Uh, always a good time. We should do more of these. Yeah, Love it. Sure. Thank you. See ya. Hey guys. Love you. This has been the BTOSports.com podcast show brought to you by Racer X. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home, and once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take their money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse. I mean, you know, and I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Go Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I had pulled pick and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny O'Mara. Stuff that you could, you'd sit there if you didn't even want to ride it, you just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in, I really do. Search Pulp MX on the iTunes Store to enjoy these and many more great podcasts.